Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan and our reader is Jonathan tonight. <laughs> and it's not me, it's a different Jonathan. We managed to find another, another one out there. Thank you, Jonathan, for filling in. And uh, our dear reader is off singing carols and bringing cheer to people in other important ways. And so our topic tonight is the lampstand. We've been in a series talking about the different parts of the tabernacle. We talked about the table of showbread a couple of weeks ago. And now I want to talk about the lampstand. What does that, there were seven lamps on one lampstand in there. And it was important that it was on the south side of the tabernacle. And it was supposed to be lit in the evening and in the morning. So what is that a picture of? What is that in our lives. I also want to wish everybody a happy solstice. If I have my uh, information correct at 544 this morning was the solstice here. So uh, the people in the southern hemisphere are at the peak right now and we're all the way at the bottom shortest day of the year. Although it's not the earliest sunset or the latest sunrise. That, that happens on either side of us by a couple of weeks here at this latitude. But so happy solstice to everybody and, uh, and a Merry Christmas. We'll talk a little bit about Christmas tonight. So are you willing to join me on that journey? Let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? <laughs> there we go. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We pray for your presence among us tonight and your enlightenment. Show us, Lord, the truth in your word and how you would have us be as a result. Amen. So nice to be with you, friends. Great sending out love to those of you who are getting the broadcast and getting the <clears throat> podcast and various different forms. Uh, it's very interesting to me to look at these different these images the image of the lampstand, can you picture it in your mind? There's a central sort of stem, and then there's two sets of branches that come up off it at the top, two sets that come up in the middle, and two sets that come off at the bottom. And then you've got these seven lamps that are all, as generally portrayed, that they're on the same plane or something at the top there. They're oil lamps that are burnt in this place that only, uh, generally, only the high priest is allowed to go in there. Um, so let's have a look at passages about this. Let's go back to Exodus in the Old Testament, the second book in, and look at chapter 25 and uh, read a little bit about what Moses, you remember these features of the tabernacle were given to Moses on the mountain. He was told uh, what these things are, and the contention of this Bible study is that these things have a deep symbolism. They're not just a pointless, because there's, so, there's a lot of description of the tabernacle. It goes on for chapters and chapters. It's not just pointless, meaningless detail. There's, there's a lesson in there for us, but it's not super easy right on the surface to be able to extract it. Look at 25, starting at verse 31 there. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold, mm. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornament no ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, 
and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Mm. This is the kind of repetition that some people feel is sort of mind-numbing in Scripture, that once you've said three branches out of one side, you could just say, etc., etc. But it has to say, no, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. And it didn't describe it the way I just did by pairs. It said three on one side and three on the other side. That, that's how it described it. So verse 33. Three bowls shall be made <clears throat> like almond blossoms uh -huh. on one branch with an or ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. As it turns out, yes. <laughs> and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. Okay. Go on ahead. the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms each with its ornamental knob and flower. Yes, yeah, so there'll be three on the, on the branches, but when it says the lampstand itself, it's talking about the central piece that goes up, the sort of stem of it, and that will have four bowls like that. Go on. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same. Of the same, yes. Thank you for repeating that. Go According on. According <laughs> to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Okay. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. Interesting. So it was very important. It, it's not something that you type of screw together. It's not like a kit, you know, from a furniture store or something. It was all going to be beaten out of one big piece of gold, and you'd hammer this whole thing out so that it, there was a unity, there was a oneness in it that was important, even though it has all these different details. Go on. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. Okay, now this is a very important detail, isn't it? You'll have seven lamps... <clears throat> and the arrangement of these lamps is important. And it's important, what, what did it say at the end there? Why, what was the point of how you arrange it? So they give light in front of it. Yeah, the light is not supposed to go out the back. You're supposed to arrange these lamps, these oil lamps that sit on the top of this lampstand, in such a way that the light comes out to the front, which is interesting. And more details. And it's wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. A talent of gold is uh, 75 pounds, as, as far as scholars can reconstruct what it is. It's, can you imagine the value of this thing? <laughs> you know, gold is pretty expensive per ounce, and you have 75 pounds of gold that have been shaped into this thing. So it's pretty heavy, too, if you pick it up. It's a, you know, it's a whole talent of gold. And again, it's one talent. It's one structure. It has all these pieces to it. And very important that the whole thing is made of pure gold. Now let's read a few more passages. That's a really basic passage about how it was made, but there's a few more details that we'll pick up in these Next chapters here. So look at 26, verse 35. This is where uh, Moses was supposed to place these things. 
You shall set the table outside the veil, and the lampstand shall lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. Okay, so this was the veil. If those of you who are getting the visuals here, we've got the same visual we've had for the past few weeks, where you had a veil in there that separated the most holy place. And these will be outside of that veil, and then the table of showbread was going to be on the north, and the lampstand on the south. And that south side is, is um, meaningful. I might as well mention now what Swedenborg says that it means. All of this has to do, as you might be able to guess if you have an awareness of Swedenborg's idea of correspondences, it has to do with truth. The table of showbread had to do with love, uh, joy, and emotions, and so on. The lampstand is about the mind, and it has to do with truth, with ideas, with a clarity of insight, and so on. And this is, in the, this is still in a pretty deep place in yourself. You can't see it from the outside, but it's something inside that's lit evening and morning. And the south side, uh, Swedenborg explains, means closer when you're in the northern hemisphere, you know, it's closer to the, the light, uh, like the noonday sun is in the south. So the way Swedenborg, if you're familiar with this, Swedenborg describes the, the uh, cardinal directions in the spiritual world that they have meanings. It's fascinating the way that he describes the spiritual world, that the different directions have meanings and people are in different places, not because I want to be here or because I want to be there, but because the state of their mind is more this way or more that way. And what he says is that the south is the direction of greater light and understanding. So the south is a place of, uh, so the people who are in the south are people who have greater intelligence, more understanding or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes it's also people who have a, a more pride in their own understanding. The north is a place where you feel like you don't know enough, you want to know more. It's, it's, it's less understanding. So when Swedenborg describes the schools that are in the world of spirits, they're all in the north because the north is a place where people go if they don't know as much as they'd like to know. So that's where, you, that's where the teaching goes on. And the east and the west, the east has to do with closer to the Lord and it's warmer and that's more about love. The people who have a greater degree of love are in the east and, and a lesser amount of love is in the west. Um, uh, you know, and so things are laid out in that world in that way. So the fact that this candlestick is in the north, this lampstand, means that it's in a part of our mind where there's greater light. You know, it just fits with the fact that it's light. It kind of makes sense. The table of showbread being in the north, if you watched our last episode, the table is half as wide as it is long, and that means there's less truth there than there is, and that's what makes it sort of more northish or something. It's, it's shorter on the truth. It's more love-oriented, uh, that table, but the lampstand is in the south. That's the meaning of these different directions. Have a look at the next chapter, if you will, chapter 27, verse 20. This is the Lord talking to Moses again. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. Ah, so it's going to be burning pure olive oil. And olive oil, if you know the symbolism, has a very similar meaning to the gold. It means love. So even though this is about the mind rather than the heart, 
there's a lot of love symbolism still on this side, that the lampstand is made of pure gold and uh, that it burns olive oil to create the light. Um, that's an important image. Go on. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. Yeah, here again, same as last time when we were talking about the table of showbread, there's this idea of the eternity of these commands. This is a permanent kind of thing, this statute forever. And look at that sequence. What did it say? Did it say from morning to evening? In the middle of that verse there, Aaron and his sons Aaron shall and order. his sons shall tend it from evening until morning. Oh, not morning to evening. Where else in the scripture do you see evening to morning, evening to morning? The creation story, everything is that the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning. So it's just interesting uh, the way Swedenborg describes that is that the evening has to do with a state of relative confusion and the morning is greater clarity and so they, they tend this thing from, from sort of confusion to clarity. It's going in an evening to morning direction uh, even though it really covers both the morning and the evening if that makes sense. Let's turn to the right to Exodus chapter 35. Uh, look at verse 10. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets, the ark and it, its poles, with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread, also the lampstand for the light. Oh, now in the rest of that light, uh, in the rest of that list, it never said what the purpose of these things was, did it? But when we got oh, to the candlestick, yeah. it said, oh, well, the candlestick is for light. Now, how obvious can you possibly be? Yes, the candlestick is for light, <laughs> but it's still so, it, it almost makes it more like, why would you go out of your way to say the candlestick, uh, by the way, that's for light. And light has to do with truth in the imagery of scripture. Okay, go on. It's utensils, it's lamps, and the oil for the light. Yes, the oil for the light. And then it continues from there. And so the oil that will be lit, that will form that, um, the light for that candlestick. Okay, turn to the right to Exodus 37. We're Exodus heavy tonight. 37, let's start at verse 17. This is just the description of the actual making of it. So in 25, Moses was told what it was supposed to look like. In 37, it actually gets made. He also made the lampstand of pure gold, of hammered work. He made the lampstand, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were of the same piece. And six branches came out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Mm -hmm. There were three bowls made like almond blossoms on one branch, and an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. 
And on the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. There was a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches extending from it. Their knobs and their branches were of one piece, all of it was one hammered piece of pure gold. Mm. And he made its seven lamps, its, its wick trimmers and its trays of pure gold, of a talent of pure gold he made it with all its utensils. Yes, thank you. Okay, so that's very similar wording to what we already read. Some of you may be aware of this. Those who have made it, I know there's at least one person in the room here who's made it all the way through Swedenborg's giant work, Arcana Celestia, several times over, as a matter of fact. And those who make it all the way to volume 12 of that huge work find out that when, so when Swedenborg's explaining Exodus chapter 25, he goes into all the details about what the ornamental almond flowers are and the branches going out either side and the, the bowls and the, even the wick trimmers and all that stuff. When he gets to chapter 37 there, which is still part of the, you know, his work is supposed to cover all of Genesis and Exodus. He just says, I already talked about this. <laughs> and that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> and so it's kind of fun. At the end, he sort of gets to, got to skip a few days. He saved a little time on his program there. Um, and look at 39. And it's a little frustrating because if there's a little detail that's different than the other time, you'll want him to explain it, but he's not going to explain it. It's the same thing as it was already. 39, uh, look at verse 37 in there. 39, 37. So this is about setting up the tabernacle after all this. You know, you can see we've been going many, many chapters about the tabernacle. So what does it say there? The pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order. Ah, Set in order again. Interesting, huh? All its they're utensils. They're not just sort of random, but they're set in order. Yes, go on. All its utensils and the oil for light. And the oil for light. Again, it emphasizes that oil for light. And then look in chapter 40, verses 3 to 4. And the Lord speaks to Moses about setting up the tabernacle. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. Mm. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. Yes, so that's pretty straightforward. But it's interesting that the bread needs to be set in order and then you light the lamps. But it also said the lamps have to be in order. So there's a lot about order in there. And hopefully we'll talk a little bit about what that order means. And look at verses 24 and 25 in there. This is when Moses actually does it. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. Ah, just like he was told to do, okay. And he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Yes, that's right. So the whole thing gets set up. Now, if you turn to the right, the next book is Leviticus, and I want to go to chapter 24 in there. And let's just look at the first four verses in Leviticus 24. This is about how they arrive at the oil. How are they going to make this oil? Where is it going to come from? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel 
that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Aha, uh -huh. to make the lamps burn continually. Okay, go on. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. Mm. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Mm -hmm. He shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. Interesting. So be in charge of, in the Old King James, is, it just says he shall order the lamps. So again, you get this idea of the, the arrangement of, you know, they're, they're supposed to be pointing forward. They're all pointing forward. It's a very orderly kind of image about what's going on in there. Okay, turn to the right and you go to Numbers, the book of Numbers. Let's look at Numbers chapter 8. <clears throat> Just the first four verses of that. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. In front. In front. You know, it's not supposed to light the back. Is supposed to light the front of the lampstand. Okay, go on. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand uh -huh. as the Lord commanded Moses. Yes, the arrangement is important. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work, according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Okay, now... Uh, later on, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 7. So you have to go through Joshua and Judges and 1st and 2nd Samuel, get to 1st Kings there, just heading to the right. And uh, <clears throat> see, there was the tabernacle that followed them for 40 years through the wilderness. And then, as you may know, this was kind of transferred in effect to the temple. Solomon finally built a temple. And the temple was very much like it with a holy of holies, the holy place, a table of showbread, lampstand, all that kind of, it was very similar, but there was a few little differences. Look at 1 Kings 7, verses 48 and 49. This time it's Solomon who's making all these things. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold and the table of gold on which was the showbread. Okay, that's what we talked about last time. Uh-huh. The lampstands of pure gold. Lampstands, wait, is that, you, did you read that correctly? Is that plural? Lampstands, yes. Okay, Of Go pure on. gold, five on the right side and five on the left. What? In front There of, were ten lamp. there used to be one lampstand. Now there's ten lampstands? And five are on the left and five are on the right? It's interesting. It's different, isn't it? So even though the temple emulated the tabernacle in so many respects, there was only one lampstand. There were seven lamps sitting on it, but there was only one lampstand. And the oneness of that was emphasized a lot. It's one piece of beaten gold, the whole thing, you know, it was the, the unity of it was very important. And now here, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we got five on the left and five on the right. Okay, uh, go on. With the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold. Yes, well, thank heavens the wick trimmers uh, were still there. That's important. And, um, okay, <laughs> let's go to 2 Kings. So turn to the right and get to 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, I don't know you know this little story, but 
It's a great little story. There was, um, Elisha was the prophet, the man of God, and he used to do kind of a big triangular journey around Israel. He was the great prophet, and so he was trying to serve all the people. So instead of just staying in one place, he would go up, he would go down, he would come around, he would go around, and he would, and this woman, named this woman of Shunem, noticed him at some point and told her husband, I, this is a man of God who keeps past, you know, she starts to realize, who is that? You know, wait, that's a man of God. We should do something here. So she goes to her husband. Look at verse 9 there in uh, 2 Kings 4. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Uh-huh. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall. Often people would build on the wall. You know, there's the story of Rahab who had her apartment in the wall. And so for people would build, there'd be a big wall in the city and you could actually build up there. And so she says, hey, let's build up on the wall there. And let us put a bed for him there. A bed. And a table. A table. And a chair. A chair. And a lampstand. Oh, and a lampstand. Okay, of course. I mean, of course you, but isn't it interesting? You got a table and a lampstand, you know, there's no chair in the in the holy place, but there's similar things there. Go on. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned in to the upper room and lay down there. So it's kind of a cool little story where he's coming by and he's just, a, isn't that like the Lord going through your life? Like you, he just passes by and eventually you think, oh, wait a minute, there's something special. Like... Maybe I should make a place where he could stay with us. So instead of just going wherever or staying in a hotel or an inn or whatever they have, you know, let's make a room and we'll put in there a table and a chair and a lampstand and a bed and so he can stay in there. And, and so sure enough, it's kind of a neat little sort of understated end of the story. But one day, and then you just wait. You build the room. Well, I don't know when he's coming by. Every few months. I don't know. So you just build it. And you wait, and then one day, oh, he comes by, and they says, oh, thank you. So he goes in, and he lies down in the room that you made him. It's a neat little picture of, of the Lord in our lives, and it has a lampstand in it. All right, let's turn to the right and go through First Chronicles to Second Chronicles. Okay, and we want to go to chapter 4 there. And let's read verses 6 to 8. This is Solomon again. There's a lot of repetition between Chronicles and Kings and so on. This is, this is Solomon. He's building his temple. And let's have a look at what's going on here in verses 6 and down to 8. He also made ten lavers and put five on the right side and five on the left to wash in them. Oh. Hmm. Such things. There was only one in the tabernacle. There was one out there where they would wash. But there were ten in the, in the temple, okay? Such things as they offered for the burnt offerings. Uh, they would wash in them, but the sea was for the priests to wash in. There was this enormous thing where they'd wash their hands and feet in this huge sea that was sitting on the back of all these oxen. That was this big, huge thing. Go on. And he made ten lampstands of gold oh. according to their design and set them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. Huh. He also made ten tables and oh, yeah? placed them in the temple. Five on the right side and five on the left. All these things that are one in the tabernacle, you end up with ten of in the temple, and they're on the right and the left. So this picture of the table of showbread goes on the right, 
lampstand on the left kind of thing. No, no, we, we got quite a different arrangement of the furniture in there. Thank you. Oh, yes. And, you made a hundred bowls of gold. Yes. I mean, why not? <laughs> if you got some leftover, just, just keep going. Make a make hundred bowls. Very good. Uh, and look at, oh, later in that same chapter, 19 to 22 down there. This thus, is Solomon making this. This is for the temple now, not the tabernacle. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of gold and the tables on which was the showbread. Tables, the, plural. That's right. The lampstands with their lamps of pure <laughs> gold to burn in the prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, of purest gold. The trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, and the censers of pure gold. As for the entry of the sanctuary, its inner doors to the most holy place and the doors of the main hall of the temple were gold. Yes, a lot of gold in the temple as well as in the tabernacle, but again, a little different arrangement of the, of the furniture in there, which is interesting. And let's go to the Psalms in the middle of your book there. We'll go to Psalm 119 which is a huge psalm. I think I've got it flagged there in your copy. Um, uh, I want to look at verses 104 and 105, even though it jumps over sort of a gap in the arrangement of the psalm. Through your, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Okay, so through your precepts, through the Lord's precepts, the psalmist gets understanding. And then this beautiful passage in 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ah, so now we're starting to get... It's so often the case that in the historical portions, Genesis, Exodus, and so on, you just get information. You don't know what's going on. There's an almond blossom here and an ornamental knob there, and you, you don't know what it is. But you get into the psalms... And the lamp is equated with the word. Isn't it? Isn't that what we just read? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, is, does, does this have something to do with the word? Does the lamp, does that apply? Can we read that from there into the imagery in the, in the tabernacle that that lampstand has something to do with the word? Let's hold that in our minds. Okay, oh, Sorry about that. I can go back and, and read this. You don't have to jump back there. But in 2 Chronicles 13, there was one other passage I wanted to read where it says, uh, talking about the Levites, it says in verse 11, They burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread they set in order on the table and the lampstand of gold with the lamps of it, they burn every evening. It's, it doesn't mention the morning. And then it says, for we keep charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. So they're about, we, we're doing all this stuff, but it only mentions the evening, not the morning, which is interesting. And yet what we read before was that, oh no, they say, oh, we're doing it all right. But actually the way you read earlier in the book to do it right is to light it in the evening as well as the morning. And some indication that that's to be perpetually lit, you know, and it's a permanent kind of thing. Now I want to dive into the Minor Prophets. Probably the best way to do this is to go all the way to the New Testament, to Matthew, and then put her in reverse, 
and go through Malachi and get to Zechariah, Z-E-C-H, Zechariah chapter 4. I want to read this whole chapter, and it's quite mystical, but so we've gone from historical works and descriptions of lampstands. Now we've got a prophecy that Zechariah is making of the future, and it relates to lampstands. Chapter 4. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold oh. with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other at its left. Huh. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Angels are often a little cagey and won't answer direct questions. But on the second try, here we go. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, hang on a second. This is the word of the Lord. So didn't we just read that the word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path? And then he sees a lampstand and he says, what is it? And the angel will finally tell him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. <clears throat> and what is the word of the Lord? It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. Swedenborg explains that the word spirit almost always has to do with truth. Like if you had to do the side of love and the side of truth, spirit has to do with the side of truth and with the word. In other words, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, uh, says the Lord of hosts. Go on. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of, the, of this temple. See, this is a projection forward to yet another temple. You had the tabernacle, you had the temple. Now this is foreseeing another temple that Zerubbabel is going to build. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Oh, For who? then you shall know. Swedenborg says that this passage means, it's partly about the prediction that the temple means the Lord. You remember in the New Testament, the Lord says, he, he says, you know, these stones will be torn down, but it'll be rebuilt in three days. And that said, but he spoke of the temple of his body. You know, he was referring to himself as the temple. And can you see that here? You shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you like this temple is going to be a manifestation of God come into the world. Go on. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord. Wait a minute. Huh. Which, Go ahead. Which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. These are the eyes. So there's seven things that are the eyes... Now, eyes, again, Swedenborg says, has to do with the mind and understanding of truth and so on. Uh, let's read the last few verses here of this chapter. 
Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Whoa, so, wow. So these are pipes, they seem to feed, the olive trees seem to feed the <clears throat> olive into the lamp for burning, like that's how it gets the oil that it burns. Go on. Then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? Yeah, you can't get good prophets anymore. You know, they don't seem to know a thing these days. Go on. And I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Okay, that's very, very mystical, and I don't hope to be able to explain all of it, but you get the fact that it's the word. It says, not by, mountain, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how, and it's interesting to me in this context tonight that there used to be a tabernacle with one lampstand and seven lamps. Then there was a temple with 10 lampstands, five on the left, five on the right. But when Zechariah sees a future, future temple in his vision, we're back to the one with the seven lamps, aren't we? He sees one lampstand with the seven lamps. Then he sees these two olive trees on either side of it. And somehow they're connected with this pipe that brings the olive oil into the lampstand. Now, Swedenborg would and does freak out about stuff like that. He just loves stuff like that. Because what he sees all the time is the relationship between love and truth. I want to talk about this a little more after we're done reading our passages. But this is about the olive is feeding love into the lampstand. And that's how there's understanding. That's what's shedding light. Light doesn't come just from an intellectual, you know, cognizance of something, you know, just like the cerebral mind that actually doesn't <clears throat> shed light. You can be in thick darkness through the exercise of your own cranium, you know, it doesn't necessarily shed light. But when the heart, when love and olive oil is the heavenly, most heavenly angelic kind of love, when that flows in, it creates this great light. That kind of love creates a kind of light. I hope to give you an example of this in a little bit. Okay, isn't that fun and, and highly, highly mystical and these are the anointed ones. What's it talking about? File that away in your capable and capacious minds, good friends. Let's turn to the right and go into Matthew chapter 5. We're just on the theme of lamps and that sort of thing tonight. So we just have a few more scriptures. Let's read, I don't know, 5 verse 8. Hmm, 5 verse 8. This is the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Hmm. Blessed. Doesn't the lampstand, we'll stop there, but doesn't the lampstand have something to do with seeing something of God? And how many times did it say, it's pure gold, I'm telling you, it's pure gold. You know, that's what it's made of. There's a purity of this. Blessed are the pure in heart. So it seems like that the gold has to do with the purity of heart for they shall see God. Now, there's obviously something about the presence of God in this image of the tabernacle, and the lampstand allows you to see God. Okay, hold that in your mind. And also look at verses 14 to 16. Same chapter. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Hmm. 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I see. Okay. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See your good works, and the Father means the divine love. So they'll see your good works, and they'll glorify the divine love. So you let your light shine before people, and they see good works. This has something to do with the fact, in other words, the fact that the lampstand is made of gold has something to do with this. Like, it's your good works and your love. This is, this is what shines a light. Uh, it actually comes from love and good actions, not just about your mind sort of calculating things or, or something. The, the light comes from the heart. Okay, good fun. Uh, let's go to Matthew 25, shall we? Mm. And let's read the first few verses of Matthew 25 right here. Mm. Matthew 25. Ah, yes, right at the beginning there. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps. Oh, their lamps, okay. And went out to meet the bridegroom. Mm. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Well, would you say that five of them were on the right side and five of them were on the left? I mean, what is going on here? We have lamps, we have five. We, it's just fascinating. What is going on? Go on. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, please notice, good friends, please notice, where are the lamps and where are the oil? The lamps come first in this verse, right? Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil. They had a lamp and the lamp comes first and they have no oil. So what do the wise do? But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. The first thing is the oil. They've got, uh, see the other ones are focused on the lamps. And when you're focused on the lamp, you don't have the oil because the oil is primary. Whereas if you have the oil, what do you carry that oil in? The vessel for the oil is this lamp. Swedenborg says this is a picture of love and truth. If you're so focused on truth and ideas and doctrines and teachings or whatever like that, but it's not about love and it's not about doing good things for others, you have a lamp, but you don't have any oil with it because you're totally focused on just this doctrinal argumentation or whatever. But the wise, they don't even take their lamps. They take the oil and the lamps are just what they carry it around in. You know, that's the vessel for their oil. So the primary thing is that you have the oil and then you've also happened to have this lamp that's handy for carrying it around him. Okay, let's read. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Mm. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Do you suppose they had wick trimmers? <laughs> yeah. Did they have wick trimmers, you think? So that they could trim the wicks on their lamps. Okay, so they trimmed their lamps. What is, what is going on? Scripture is amazing. Go on. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Yes, our lamps are going. So you get a little bit of there, but it's running out. Okay. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go get rather to those who sell 
and buy for yourself. Mm. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Bang! Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Yes, okay, so that's this parable. Swedenborg says that the virgins there mean an affection for, a longing for truth. So these are ten sort of ways of holding a longing for truth, but some of these people have a longing for truth, but it didn't go with good actions. It wasn't about love, it wasn't about serving people or helping them or whatever. It's just like, <clears throat> I just want to know stuff. But the other ones had oil, and they contained that oil in their lamp. They understood that the truth is a vessel for love and it's supposed to be teaching love. So this is about the time after death. It sounds very cruel. The door's just shut and like, oh, too bad. You didn't get some. But what it's talking about is that in the inner meaning is that if we go through our whole lives and we never do good, we never come from love, we're not about that. All we've got is a lamp, but we don't have the oil. And when the Lord shows up, we're not even there. We're trying to get something from somebody else because, because we're not even there. We, we miss the whole event because the Lord shows up through the love. He's always more interested and present in the doing of good and the helping of people. And he's only secondarily involved in truth. So people who try to get to the Lord purely through truth and through understanding uh, can get sort of left out of the, the party there in the other world. Lots more we could say about that and how it is ultimately spiritually fair because you can't really see it. Turn to the right and let's go to Mark chapter 4 in the next gospel over. Similar passage, 21 to 23, but it has a little bit of different wording in there. Mark 4. Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? And listen to this. Now, what does he follow it up with in this gospel? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the other one was talking about see your good works and everybody will glorify your Father in heaven. This is a little more ominous maybe where it's like the, if the candlestick is revealing you like the state of your own heart and mind, right? Uh, there's nothing hidden that will not be manifest and kept secret that won't uh, get out in, into the public and so on. That's about in our spiritual lives that, that things will be revealed in the other world. Uh, turn to the right and go to Luke chapter 11. It's the next gospel over. Coming down the home stretch here. Luke 33, same sort of passage, but again, different wording gets tacked onto it. Uh, Luke 11, starting in 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. Yes, there's something selfless about it, isn't it? It's to, it's to show others the light. Go on. The lamp of the body is the eye. Oh, wait. Now, wait a minute. Aren't you mixing two different metaphors? This now, all of a sudden, we're talking about the body and that your eye is like a lamp? That might, are your eyes burning? Or What's going on? Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. Hmm, what's it talking about? 
but when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Mm. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Just a wonderful way that the New Testament expresses itself. <laughs> yeah, watch out that your light is not actually darkness. You know? Go on. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Wow. Okay, so isn't that talking about our mind, like the eye is a picture of the mind, and that when your mind, when your mindset is positive, isn't your whole body full of light? Like, isn't your whole world, your whole self is full of light? But if your, if your eye, if your understanding, if your mind is dark, you're full of darkness. And so it says, watch out that the light that's in you is not darkness. But if you get to the point where you're full of light and you have no part of darkness in you, then everything will be full of light, like when there's a lamp. It'll be like a lamp giving you light. I just love the way that scriptural passages talk to each other in interesting ways. Just a couple more, good friends. Turn to the right, if you will, and go to Ephesians. Uh, so you'd go through Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and you get to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to read verses 17 and 18 there. It's jumping into the middle of a sentence, which is always the case with Paul. But listen to this terminology here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Oh, spirit. What did we hear before? Not by might, not by, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So... So here it kind of explains what wisdom... Do you see how Swedenborg would understand that spirit has something to do with truth and that kind of thing? It may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge. There are three words in there, right? Wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. Spirit equals wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. And then look at the next phrase. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Oh! So your understanding... Your mind, your comprehension, your understanding, your faculty of your intellect has eyes, or it is spiritual eyes, and it can be enlightened. So this is a fabulous passage that shows you what eyes mean, shows you what spirit means. It links all these things together. The lampstand has something to do with truth and wisdom and understanding and knowledge, those things coming together. Isn't it interesting? It just strikes me right now, good friends, that you have wisdom, revelation, and knowledge, how many sets of branches were there? Was there like three on each side? There were three, like me, is one of those wisdom, one of them revelation, one of them knowledge or something? And, and they're one above the other, and they're all held up, you know? And it's all of one piece. Uh, okay, I, I want to get back to that in a moment. Let's turn to the right and go all the way back to Revelation chapter 1. Hmm where John on the Isle of Patmos has a vision of the Lord. So we're right at the end of the Bible here. And let's start at verse 12 in Revelation chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Plural? Plural. Plural. And in the midst Now, wait a minute. So we had one lampstand with seven lamps on it. 
Then we had five lampstands on the left and five on the right. And then Zechariah saw one lampstand with seven lamps. But now we're getting seven lampstands, not just seven lamps, right? Yeah. He's having a vision of the Lord and he's seeing seven. And what are they made of? Oh, not silver. It's gold. You know, it's always gold. There's seven golden lampstands. And... And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. That's a wonderful, wonderful uh, description here of the Lord. And then it explains in verse 20 down here, because he also has seven stars in his hand. And what does it say at the end here? His eyes like a flame of fire. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, you, I had to add that in. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, right. So eyes like a flame of fire. So that's another image about the understanding being lit by love, right? Yes. Another image. And look at verse 20 down there. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Well, this is a very clear indication that lampstand has a particular meaning. It bothers explaining the meaning of the seven lamp. The seven lampstands are seven churches. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't mean the seven lampstands are, hello, seven lampstands, you know, or seven light sources or something. It says that there's seven churches. It explains that. And then look in chapter 2 right there in the first five verses of chapter 2. Because the Lord starts sending out these letters to these different angels of these different churches. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Oh, now wait a minute. Swedenborg explains that the, for, to, to be able to walk in the midst of seven golden lampstands, they actually have to be pretty far apart. Like they're far enough apart that you can walk. He walks around in there. They're not all, you know, it's not like one image and the thing and the boom and here's the shaft and everything, you know, it's all there. No, they're quite spread out. And he says, we're supposed to picture sort of a circle or a semicircle of these things. And the Lord is walking around in there, but they're quite distant, these seven from each other. Go on. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Ooh. Mm. Go on. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. My favorite word, repent, yep. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Whoa. So repentance is kind of a lampstand thing or the lampstand is kind of a repentance thing. Like if you don't repent... <clears throat> The lampstand will be moved out of its place. It's where it is. So that gold is about pure actions, is about good, loving things that you do for others. And uh, if you don't repent, you've left your first works, you've fallen down from where you used to be. Remember, get back there or else I'm going to have to 
you know, that, that lampstand will get moved. Wow, so interesting. Okay, and look at chapter 11. Okay. Okay, look at chapter 11. Let's just look at verse 4. It's talking about these two witnesses, and it says the Lord is going to give power to the two witnesses in verse 3, and then look in verse 4. What are these two witnesses? These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Oh, are they? Okay. So these are two olive trees. We're back in Zechariah chapter 4, right? And these are the two witnesses, and they're two olive trees, and they're two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Okay, now there's just two more scriptures I want to read and want to go back to get them. Uh, and then all shall be fully explained. You'll, you'll be incredibly satisfied. Uh, let's go back to Matthew. And I just wanted to read a phrase in Matthew 18, verse 10, that I think has a bearing on this. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Meaning little children. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. See, For I would submit that the seeing... The, uh, the, so. Don't despise these children because I'm telling you, their angels are always, they always behold the face of our Father who is in heaven. I would submit that this lampstand that burns evening and morning, it's continually burning before the Lord, has something to do with seeing the face of God. These angels are in a condition where their lampstand is always going I think the Ten Commandments represent the presence of the Lord. The table of showbread is how you experience that presence of God in your heart. The lampstand is a picture of how you experience that presence of God in your mind, how you see it. You're able to see the face of God. You're able to see the presence of God. That's a state of the mind. The table of showbread is about the heart. The lampstand is about the mind. And look also, if you will, at Acts. I think it got marked in yours, Acts chapter 2. It's right after John, to the right of John. Acts chapter 2, and I want to read verse 25 there, quote, a quote about David in the Psalms. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, mm. for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Yes, look at that. Uh, so there again, this idea of always beholding the face of God. Because I think that has something to do with what the slam stand means. So now, all should be made clear, right? Pretty straightforward. What are the three branches sticking out? Well, the three have to do very often in Swedenborg's system. You have the, you know, the highest heaven, the middle heaven, or the lowest heaven, or that also have to do with our heart, our mind, and our external lives that this is about a sight of truth on all three levels. This level, that level, and that level. The wick trimmers, about which I may have made some rather levitous remarks. Is that even a word? I don't know if that's a word. The uh, <laughs> exercise of levity tonight mean the purification of us on the outside, on the outside of our life. This serves a function. This lampstand serves a purification function that purifies the outside of us. So you get truth, you get some understanding on the inside, 
and it works to purify the outside of your life. That's the wick trimmers and the vessels and stuff like that. And they're an important piece of it. And they're made of pure gold too because it's all driven by your good, loving actions toward others. Why are the three on one side and three on the other side? That's because there's a balance between good and truth. There's a balance between the heart and the mind. They're and they're all of one piece. And everything is made of gold and it's all lit by olive oil because it's lit by love. Now let me try to give, give you an example of what was coming to me about this. Um, I was reading about someone who had become a psychologist, a therapist, and really over the course of his long life he has hugely changed for the better the whole field of psychology. He's created one of the largest things that, and really helped people with anxiety and depression and so on. And it was striking me that when he started he was just operating, this is what Swedenborg calls truth too good, is where he's just starting, he goes to school and he gets indoctrinated with all the latest theory of this is how the mind works, this is what you do, this is what you do for this kind of person, this is what you, you do analysis, you get someone to lie down on the couch, they tell you your problems in childhood, and you analyze them and you know, this is what you do. But, but he develops a good, he develops a gold in himself where he wants to help the human race. The human race is suffering. The human race has a lot of mental illness. He wants to help these people. So he starts to get a goal in himself that he just has this desire to help people. He's gone from the truth to this good, like his truth has brought him to this practice where now he, he's seeing clients, he's seeing them, everything. But they're telling him things that don't fit with this theory. And after a while, it starts to dawn on him, wait a minute, I don't think that theory's right. That loving action. Some people could just phone it in. You know what I mean? You went to school, blah, 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 blah. Deposit the check. Great, we're done. You know, you don't need to, don't need to push it, don't need to learn something. But if you have that love, which is olive oil, it's the highest kind of love as gold, the heavenly love for the welfare of the human race, you want to help people. You want to help them have a better life, heal them and everything like that. That love will lead you to a higher truth. You'll start to realize, I don't think that theory is right that I was taught. I'm seeing it in a different light. I start to see. That's the light that love sheds in your mind. You know, that's when you have a heavenly desire. To, it might be a very simple feeling, but bit by bit that will lead you. Look at what happened to Jesus. He came into this world. He goes through the whole structure of the, the church that he was taught. Here's how you do it. You do this, you read that, and all that kind of stuff. It brings him to this point where he has this desire to save the whole human race, and that brings him into a, wait a minute, it's not about killing animals. You know, this is about being good to people. This is about laying aside evil. You've got to repent. And he's able to teach. He's able to see a truth. He gets a lampstand inside his mind that's built out of good. The whole thing's out of one hammered piece of good that he's trying to do some good for people and he comes to the point where he can see a light that he didn't see before. Swedenborg too, he was raised in all this stuff, he's taught all this science and everything, he's plodding along, he's exercising it. He develops this care for the human race, he wants to do something good for people, wants to move things forward spiritually and he gets to the point where he starts to realize, wait a minute, people are all wrong about the Bible, they're not understanding this book. I've got to tell people they're wrong about the spiritual world. They're wrong about salvation. They're wrong about so many things. And he comes into a higher, that lamp gets lit in there. 
And he goes from evening to morning, going through these stages of where you're confused and then you, you know, and then you get more clarity. Now, this is all the lampstand is inside your holy place. Most people live and die out here and they, they never see that. You can be having all your drama. You could be like, have no clue who God is in your outer self. You know what I mean? Like you feel like totally absent or you don't know what's going on or whatever. This could still be lit in there. The Lord in you is going in there evening and morning and lighting that thing. You know, if you have that vessel in you and what is it? It relates to the word. What did it say? The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's about how you live your life. Once that thing is lit in there, it's a perpetual, it's a thing for all generations. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The angels who are with little children always see the face of the Divine Father in the heavens. You know, they always see that because that lamp is permanently lit. Their mind is able, they shall see God. Their mind is able to see God after they die in, in the flesh and they enter into the spirit. They come into that light. They can, they can see that light. Um, we did the wick trimmers. Okay, uh, the branches have to do with power on this thing. The stem is all about how it unites goodness and truth together. Uh, the flowers have to do with truth. Uh, the gold has to do with divine love. Uh, the whole thing has to do also with understanding spiritual truth that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. I pray that you get wisdom, revelation, and knowledge, that the Spirit give you that, not by my might, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That is that truth from the Word. That's what lights up in our minds and gives us this ability to see the presence of God. And it has to do with our repentance. You know, if you don't repent, I'm afraid I'm going to have to move that that lamp, you know, the lamp will be moved out of its place. It won't be there in the south anymore, lighting up your mind and, and, and showing you a way. So this is a picture of what can happen with us. And one of the main things that we need to do, first of all, it's so important to be living a good life, trying to do things for others, because that's the gold from which they take that. And there's 75 pounds of gold. You know, you're going to need a lot of gold. Doesn't take like a little ring's worth or something. You're going you're gonna to need a pile of gold to do 75 pounds of gold to make this thing. So you, you need to be in the practice of a lot of good things that you're doing for others. And then this thing can be made and can be lit. What did it say? That he made the thing and then he lit it. The setting in order is the fact that truths need to be set in order. Like you learn all this jumble of stuff, don't you? You go to school and you learn this and I heard so-and-so said this and I read that on the internet or I saw this video and something. And you just have this jumble in there. It needs to be set in order, and it all needs to face forward. I like that. Somehow it's a forward-looking truth. When you set it all in order, it's, all, it's, not, it's, not, it's not about the past or whatever. It's not, it's not about, it's, it's, here's a way forward, a lamp under my feet, a light under my path. That, that's the truth that, that leads us forward, that shows us the way forward. So we go from our evening state to our morning state, and then we have confusion about the next thing, and then we get to another morning. And we go forward like that. It's a perpetual purification. That way we've got oil and we got lamps to put it in. It's not about the lamps. It's about the oil. That's what it's about. We have those two olive trees that have to do with heavenly love that are feeding that oil in all the time. So it's burning perpetually in there. And uh, so 
The table feels the presence of God, the lampstand sees it. These are things in our heart and mind that have been structured this way that the Lord wants to be able to give us that. He shows us on the mountain. Here's the pattern. Read the word. It'll install this in you. It knows how to build. It'll, it'll install this furniture in your mind, in your spirit, and you'll have that there for, for after you die. That'll give you um, light and wisdom and revelation and knowledge. So that lampstand in the tabernacle is an image of a permanent capacity in our minds to know and see God. Thank you very much, friends, and I'm wishing you all a very, very Merry Christmas. And I hope to see you next Wednesday, and we'll talk about the new year. That'll be a blast. Thank you so much. Sending love to you all, and let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. Thank you, Lord, for coming into our world and showing us how it is done. Thank you for becoming that beacon, becoming that beacon. Uh, all those lamps, the seven lampstands at the end of the book of Revelation that's talking about are seven different approaches to the Lord. They might be quite distant from each other, but you, Lord, are walking between all of them. All these different ways of looking at it, they're all true, and they all come out of living a good life. We thank you, Lord, for these images. Please help us in our lives. Please light that light of that good olive oil in our minds so that we can see you when we're in our evening states, when we're in our morning states, so that deep within ourselves we can see your presence with us, Lord. Thank you. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can keep that lampstand right where it is.